We'll take our text this evening from the book of 2 Kings, the 18th chapter. We'll start in verse 17. 2 Kings 18, we'll read verses 17 through 19. The king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem, and when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I recognize that these three verses may not be the most well-known verses that may not immediately bring to mind the, the story or the account that we're considering this evening, so I'll take a minute to set the context. This account took place after Israel and Judah had been split into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and Assyria was the world's superpower at this time, and they were under the king Sennacherib, and they had already taken the northern kingdom of Israel captive in 722 BC, and this passage may have been around 688, so maybe around 34 years after Israel had been taken captive, and now they're coming for Judah, the southern kingdom, and Assyria had already forced Judah to pay a heavy tribute, it says King Hezekiah emptied the silver from the temple and from the palace, and he actually cut off the gold from the doors and pillars of the temple just to pay this tribute to Assyria. But that tribute wasn't enough. That didn't satisfy Assyria's thirst. And so they started attacking Judah, and they'd already taken the outlying fortified cities of Judah And it mentions that a few verses before we started. And it's no surprise when history is in congruence with the the scriptures, when they agree, and we read from Sennacherib's historical records, he says, As for Hezekiah the Jew, who did not submit to my yoke, 46 of his strong walled cities, as well as the small cities in their neighborhood, which were without number, by leveling with battering rams... And bringing up siege engines by attacking and storming on foot by mines, tunnels, and breaches, I besieged and took. And he goes on to talk about all the people he took captive and the livestock. And he ends that with saying himself, speaking of the king, like a caged bird I shut up in Jerusalem, his royal city. This is the enemy that Judah is facing. They're not to be messed with. And one of these cities that they took was called Lachish. And this was a city that was larger than Jerusalem. It was a well-fortified city. And this was an important victory for Assyria. And we can tell because they made wall sculptures, eight foot tall, that filled a room. They put them on the wall of their conquest of this city. And they, they go into great detail. You can... If you take a trip across the pond to the uh, British Museum in London, you can still see these sculptures today 
And, and you can see this detailed depiction of this conquest of Lachish. And now they're using this as a base to attack Jerusalem. So this was a powerful and an intimidating force. That's the backdrop of where we started this evening. And so now the king is sending an army to Jerusalem. And he sends these three messengers, Tartan, Rabseris, and Rabshakeh. And these are actually titles, not names. So this is their commander-in-chief and a couple high-ranking officers. And they come out, and, and Hezekiah sends three of his men. And the message was quite simple. Surrender or be besieged. And the people of Jerusalem knew what happened to Lachish, and they certainly didn't want that to happen to them. We see that Sennacherib was a bit arrogant. And if you read through the rest of the chapter, you'll see just how much his pride was. It says, verse 19, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, but in his own historical records he says, he begins with Sennacherib, the great king, the mighty king, king of the universe, king of Assyria. And, he, and the, the messenger says, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? And then the next verse, he says, Now who, on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? And he goes on to say, Don't trust in your alliance with Egypt. It won't do you any good. And worse than that, he says, Don't trust in the Lord. That won't do you any good either. And he goes even so far as to say, The Lord sent me to attack you. And Rabshakeh was within earshot of the people on the wall of Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah's men say, Don't speak in their language. We understand you in the Syrian language. Jumping ahead to verse 26, Then said Eliakim the son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah unto Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it. And talk not with us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. Didn't want the people on the wall to be afraid and to hear all these threats and, and saying that we've attacked every nation around you and their gods didn't do them any good. And so what was their response to this request? Verse 28, Then, Rab then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language, and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. And jumping down to verse 33, Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand? In other words, we've attacked every nation around you, and they all trusted in their gods, and it did them no good. And who is your God that he's going to deliver you out of my hand? He even says, I took Israel captive. 
Israel wasn't trusting in the Lord at that time. And so the Lord allowed that to happen. But that would be a significant threat to Judah, seeing that Israel was taken captive. Verse 36, But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, Answer him not. This was a direct challenge on the God of Israel. And the people, no doubt, would have been afraid. This was an intimidating force. But it says they held their peace. The people on the wall stood firm despite the words of the enemy. This account happened over 2,700 years ago. And it would be easy to, to just kind of lose this account amidst the, the many stories in this book. But I believe there's something we can glean from this account tonight because we too have an enemy. And our enemy is an intimidating force. The way I figure it, the devil has had over 6,000 years of practice. He's gotten quite good at what he does. And he's taken down many people. He's taken prisoners and he's defeated many. Our battle is not physical, but spiritual. And it is just as real as any physical battle that has ever occurred in history. And our enemy sends messengers our way, just like Assyria sent messengers. And these messengers take many different forms. These messengers could be someone at school or at work. And their message might be that Scripture is not reliable today. We've been much more enlightened since Scripture was written. Or this messenger might be society saying that the truth that we believe is old-fashioned. The ideologies of today are a religion in and of themselves. And if you don't follow lockstep, you'll be ostracized. But this is nothing less than an intimidation campaign of the devil. Just as we read that Rabshakeh insisted on speaking in the Jews' language, sometimes the devil's messengers may speak in a language that's familiar to us. It could be those that call themselves Christians around us, that things sound sort of similar, and yet if we evaluate the message... Perhaps it doesn't line up. And just like Rabshakeh, they will say, this is the will of God. But we want to line up with the Word of God and see what God's Word says and not what those around us say. Many Christian circles, even as we heard tonight, say you can't live above sin. They may even endorse sinful behavior. But we don't want to listen to the messages of the enemy. Sometimes Satan delivers the message himself. He'll come along and just whisper in your ear, could be saying God won't deliver you, could say you're not saved. He might point at some tiny little mistake that you've made when your heart is still right and say, how could you do that? You're not saved. Or perhaps he'll come along and say, you know, you've been praying about this for a long time, and if the Lord hasn't answered your prayer yet, He's not going to. Have you heard that one? Satan will bring discouragement. 
He'll bring illness or grief. God's people are under siege. And it seems like everywhere we turn, we know someone who's going through a trial. Or perhaps you're going through a trial yourself. Because the enemy is desperate. His time is running short. And we're under siege. But just as King Hezekiah gave his people a command to stand firm on that wall, God has given us the same command. If we turn to 1 Corinthians 16.13, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. There's four parts to that. Watch ye, be vigilant. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That enemy would like to just lull us to sleep. We want to be alert and be vigilant and be watching on that wall for the attack of the enemy. Prayer is how we do that. Prayer is a necessary component to vigilance. Jesus told Peter, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And we know what happened when Peter failed to pray. The second part, stand fast in the faith. The truth of God's word. We are, it, the, Jesus told the parable where the, God's word was the seed. We could also think of God's word as soil and we're the tree. And if our roots don't go deep in that soil of God's word, we will never stand. The only way to stand is to stand on something firm and that is the truth of God's word. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. That is the foundation on which we stand. The third part says, quit you like men. Now that might sound a bit funny in, in today's uh, vernacular, but quit here means conduct. So Paul's saying, conduct yourselves like men. Now, the world has a lot of opinions about masculinity, and we won't go into all that, but what does godly masculinity look like? God's not looking for the strongest physically, God wants men to be strong in the Lord, in the power of God. And I believe our families want that of us too. Our families and the Lord want men who will lead well, who will be strong in faith, but gentle in action, who will be strong for their families, but gentle with their families, and who will be an example worth following. But this verse isn't just for men, although I think those of us who are men can take a lot from that, but this verse is encouraging all of us to have courage in the face of the, the attacks of the enemy and to grow to spiritual maturity. Coming back to the verse we just read, it says that we henceforth be no more children. 
but to conduct ourselves like adults, to, to, to feast on the meat of God's word and stand on that with courage and confidence that the Lord will see us through. And finally, he just simply says, be strong. And again, not talking physical strength here, but spiritual strength that will only come from the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. God is the source of the strength that we need to stand against the attacks of the enemy. And the only way that we will stand strong is to find our confidence and strength in the Lord. Coming back to the account of Hezekiah, the Assyrians threatened Hezekiah not just once, but they came back and threatened again. And Hezekiah both times took the need to the Lord. And we'll just uh, read what happened there. 2 Kings 19, verses 32 to 35. This is God's second response to Hezekiah. He says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. God's response to this enemy that had defeated every nation around them was to just slay 185,000 people in one night. Because they challenged the God of heaven, the God of Israel, the God of Judah, and the God of today, and they said, who is this that you're trusting in? And God says, I am still in control. And he says the same thing for us today. We may not see the enemy destroyed in the same way that they saw in Judah's time, but the Lord will give us deliverance. That deliverance can look different in each situation because the Lord knows what kind of deliverance we need to see in our situation. But the Lord has promised victory. Victory is sure when we're on the right side. Rabshakeh said, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? There are many voices around us that are just looking to weaken our resolve. But the Lord is our confidence. And it says that confidence has great recompense of reward. That confidence is not misplaced when it's placed in the Lord. And it will take us from here to heaven. Without a battle, there can be no victory. So if you want victory, you're going to have to fight a battle. But it's not your battle to fight alone. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the only way to stand is on our knees. That prayer is what gives us the strength to stand. If you're fighting a battle tonight, take it to the Lord. Because that confidence in the Lord is not misplaced. The Lord will see you through. If you're not saved, that submission to the Lord is what unlocks the promises of God's Word and gives you the opportunity to have that confidence in God and that trust that the Lord is now fighting for you because you've submitted to His will. Whatever your need is tonight, bring it to the Lord in prayer 
He will see us through each and every time. As we come out and pray, our song is 704.